Dueling Genre Productions presents. Oh my God, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my God, I'm flying, I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly. Super senses. What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre Hello everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing David, Ellie, and Benji from the screenplay titled The Other Side of Solitary by Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez. And joining the discussion is returning guest Scott Corelli. Hello, Scott. Hi, Joe. How's it going? I'm doing well. You know, we're, we're getting through the... the quarantine situation that all of uh the the world is experiencing and uh doing our best and i very much enjoyed having this new screenplay to read uh you know as a new bit of entertainment so thank you for sharing it with me yeah is this a first for this show to do just a screenplay yes uh we we have not done that we've we've covered a lot of mediums (laughs) uh you know, we got our classic, you know, TV show, film, comic, novel, but we've also done some narrative podcasts and uh, uh, even comic strips, uh, you know, just just newspaper comic strips. But this is the first screenplay that, that we're tackling. Oh, well, I am I am honored to uh, break the seal, as it were. Yes. Uh, so could you give our listeners like an elevator pitch of what the screenplay is about uh, so that they're a little bit familiar with it? Uh, yeah. So the, uh, the, the elevator pitch, um, the very much an elevator pitch is that, uh, the other side of solitary is a romantic comedy about two shut-ins who find themselves in a long distance relationship with each other, despite living across the street from each other. I I really like that. That synopsis. (laughs) Now, this is a, (laughs) a screenplay that you and Nick had, had worked on and, um, you're going to be performing a live reading on YouTube, correct? 
Yes, yes. It's uh, the live reading is fully cast with uh, actors playing each of the roles, and I am uh, reading the stage direction. Oh, excellent. So at the time that this episode drops, uh, like we're recording this before your live reading, but your live reading is going to happen right before this episode drops. So listeners should be able to go find it and I will get a link to uh, to that video into the show notes. So if this sounds interesting, listeners, you'll you'll have the chance to go and see it performed uh, by actors. And now, <laughs> Scott, uh, you've given the elevator pitch. I think our listeners now know what it's about and they know how the world is right now. And uh, so you've had to kind of like shift your plans for this. Is that correct? Yeah. So, you know, originally we were working on this. Um, originally, originally, this was this was meant to be a script that I would direct. Um, and we were actually not just looking to sell the the screenplay, but actually, you know, sell the the whole package as a as a very low budget um, romantic comedy film, like maybe to Netflix or, uh, you know, one of those streaming services or something like that. And uh, we were, you know, sort of on our way to doing that. And then the coronavirus happened and everyone is in quarantine. And we just sort of looked at the script one day and we were like, oh, this is dead, isn't it? Like this is this is a dead script. Like we can't make this. Um, and and you know we both kind of realized it simultaneously. And we reached out to the actors that we had uh, envisioned in the roles, and uh, uh, you know talked to them about it. And they all sort of agreed that like yeah, this is a dead script. And uh, one of the one of the biggest things that happened was like. You know, I was I was the last holdout on this, and I was the one that was like, no, 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 like you know, it's it's possible, it's already it's already a thing, like we already wrote it, like we can we can do it, we can we can get it to get made. And then I was listening to a podcast, and someone was talking about how the coronavirus was going to spawn all of these things, and then they they pitched something that was that they were like, what's the worst case scenario? Like what's the worst thing that somebody could come up with? And then someone pitched something that was so dangerously close to our script <laughs> that I was like, okay, yeah, maybe it's dead. All right. It's dead. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's figure out something to do with it then. Uh, and, and uh, we decided to, um, uh, do this live read as a sort of Viking funeral, as it were, because we are essentially just burning the script. I mean, by doing a live read uh, and putting it out into the public, we're basically saying, yeah, this is worthless now. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I'm excited to do the live read and I'm really excited to share this with everyone, uh, even if it's not in the form that uh, I had hoped. Yeah, I, I know how heartbreaking that must be to realize that because of events completely out of your control, uh, this is something that just wouldn't be produced now or wouldn't be sellable uh, at, at the moment. Not only because it's, as you said, like kind of hitting close to home, uh, mm -hmm. even though nothing in your script is about coronavirus or, or a disease or a pandemic. But it, when we get to the summer, you'll see listeners. Um, but because, as you said, there's going to be so much material that's coming out inspired uh, by world events that's going to feel like it's echo, like your story is an echo of some of these other things, even though it's, it's clearly not. But um right it, it's hitting like you said uh too close <laughs> too, right too right. close to what what people are experiencing and too close to what other people are going to be making right now so even though you made it in this completely separate setting you know there's gonna be a wave of ya novels and a wave <laughs> of uh like you said streaming service shows that are inspired by this thing i mean including some that have already been announced uh like 
uh, Netflix just announced uh, a, a, a deal for a uh, social distancing inspired uh, series. Yes, from Genji Cohen, the creator of Orange is the New Black and uh, Glow. And, you know, she's got more representation than me. So, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> she has representation of, and I do not. So uh, that's, that's that, yeah. That it's hard it's, to compete with. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard to compete with. And there's just, there's no way for me to get this out there without it seeing, seeming instantly derivative of everyone else that has a leg up over over me uh and uh so we're we've decided to just sort of cut our losses and um at least be be able to have the bragging rights that our our script was produced first even if it's just in the form of a live read <laughs> well, well i'm i'm glad you're still getting it out there because i I think it's easy for writers to just kind of say, well, this is never going to work. I never wanted to see the light of day, which is something you hint at with uh, David, who's a writer in, in your script, right? Like, oh, oh, yeah. There is- we, we did we did a uh, a new draft of this after deciding to do the live read. And uh, I can I can tell you that we wrote a lot of our frustrations into David's storyline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely a self-flagellating side of creatives where – uh, it, it, it can be tempting to say no one ever needs to see this thing, but I'm glad you're getting it out as a script read because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought there's some really excellent character beats and, and story moments that I'm, I look forward to discussing uh, after after we do the full summary. So I'm, I'm glad it uh, will still be shared with the world, uh, even if it's not in the format you had originally hoped. Me too. Uh, and thank you for the for saying the kind things, Joe. well before we move on to that summary listeners we want to thank you for downloading this episode and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you would like to support the show financially we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month and all supporters of patreon at any level receive access to our special monthly quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about uh some of the the new material that we're we're watching or reading um and you know in a slightly more carefree version than our our more scripted uh format that we do for our regular episodes all right so now to a full spoiler summary of the other side of solitary by scott corelli and nick jimenez all right david is a writer on a call with his agent he wrote the first two successful books in a ya series but he has writer's block when it comes to his third book he is interested in switching the focus away from a group of protagonists who have adventures while surviving a monster infested world and instead follow an individual who is quietly living alone while surviving in that world his agent doesn't really care what story he follows so long as he turns in a manuscript after the call david goes and opens his front door but he can cannot bring himself to step outside Ellie is lying on her bed trying to compose music for an independent movie. She is talking to her cat about the music when her mom calls and asks Ellie if she'll be coming to the next meeting. We cut between a montage of David's very carefully curated meticulous daily routine that is cut against Ellie's very random and messy daily routine. Part of David's routine is getting groceries delivered at exactly four o'clock. Today, though, there's nobody making a delivery at four. David's sense of being is disrupted. Finally, he hears a delivery man arrive, but it's not his usual guy. It's a new person named Benji who just walks into David's house to put the groceries inside. David shoes Benji out, saying he has to do everything in a certain way. David misses his old delivery guy who knew the routine. We see Ellie go to an online meeting for agoraphobics. Ellie doesn't actually participate. She mostly just looks at her phone while the other members of the group talk. 
David can't sleep at all. We see a montage of his daily routine and he spills coffee uh, and then he wipes it up. But he notices that this makes the spot that he just wiped up a little bit cleaner than the area around it. And this leads to a domino effect of cleaning every inch of his house. He's almost done when he runs out of cleaning supplies, weighing his issues with the new delivery guy against the idea of one area of his house being less clean than the rest. David finally places an order for more cleaning supplies. Benji arrives and he and tells David there are a couple of bags left in the trunk of his car, but David is unable to step outside of the house to help Benji bring them in. Ellie is watching TV when there's a knock on her, her door. It's Benji delivering her groceries. She's freaked out and yells through the door that her old delivery guy would just leave the groceries on the stoop in front of her door. As he's leaving, uh, Ellie yells out that the old guy would also pick up her mail and leave it with the groceries. Benji does this for her, and then she picks up the mail and she sees a check. She thinks she was underpaid. Uh, the check is less than she expected. So she sends an email to the company, but she receives a message that any paycheck discrepancies must be handled by phone. Ellie tries calling, but she hangs up in fear whenever her call is answered. Finally, she just accepts that she is going to be paid less than she expected. <laughs> and she decides to cash this paycheck rather than trying to call again. David gets a call that an Academy Award-winning director has optioned the rights to his books, but only if it is a completed trilogy. David has to complete the third book by January. He finally sits down and starts to type uh, and type and type. He just needs to get something on the page. Benji knocks with the delivery, but uh, David doesn't even hear it. Finally, Benji just leaves the bag of groceries on David's doorstep. David realizes that, that everything he has written is awful, and he throws it all away. Uh, then his computer pings with a reminder about an online support group that he is supposed to try out. Benji goes and delivers food to Ellie's door. She retrieves it and realizes she forgot, she forgot to put cat food on her order. Desperate, she opens the front door and sees Benji is pulling out. She weighs him down and explains that she needs the cat food for her cat. Benji loves cats and he promises to go get the cat food right away. David clicks into the support group. Apologizing to her cat and promising to get her food soon, Ellie also logs into the support group. Ellie's mom is running the group, and she says there's so many people here, it may be easier if they get set up in pairs rather than trying to talk to the whole group. David and Ellie are paired off. Surprisingly, they're able to actually have a normal conversation and open up to each other a little bit. When Benji knocks on Ellie's door, Ellie leaves the call still going and goes to open the door. She thanks Benji for getting the cat food. David recognizes Benji, and he yells at him through the computer. Benji sees David, and they, they talk for a second. Ellie realizes that she can't find her cat, and looking at the open door, Benji promises to go out and find the cat. Ellie starts checking around her house. Uh, well, when Benji and Ellie leave the front door open, David sees his own house on his computer monitor. Ellie must live across the street. David hears a strange sound by his front door, and he opens it to find a cat rummaging through the grocery bags that Benji had left on his doorstep earlier. He picks up the cat and goes back to his computer, holding it and calling for Ellie to come take a look. Ellie and Benji see the cat on the computer, and Benji explains that David lives across the street. Benji goes and gets the cat for Ellie. David and Ellie begin a tentative exchange of texts. David tells her he's a writer. She tells him that she writes songs, including theme songs for characters that she likes. Benji uh, brings David some Korean-Mexican fusion tacos that he made, and David talks with him about the pros and cons of opening a restaurant versus a food truck. When Benji goes to drop off some tacos at Ellie's, David gives some copies of his books to take uh, uh, to her as well. David still has writer's block. It's Halloween now. Uh, and Ellie has sent over Halloween decorations for him to put up. They're planning to watch the movie Halloween together through computers, not actually in the same room together. They can't handle that yet. <laughs> but the power goes out. So instead, they talk for a long time and they open up to each other for real. And I have to say, like, the visual storytelling in the screen directions uh, that you put down was really strong here. I loved it. Uh, Scott, where you describe, like, as they're having their phone conversations, you see them lying on their beds overhead, but you get a, a, a split screen, so it looks like they're sharing a bed and talking, uh, but really mm -hmm. they're they're still in their own space. But the the intimacy that is happening, um, you know, in, in their emotional relationship is really well displayed, I thought, in this sequence. 
Oh, thank you very much. So now it's, it's, after uh, it's a sequence I was very proud of. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like I was seeing it the way you described it. I could see it in my head uh, as I was reading the screenplay. And that is fantastic work, I thought. So now it's after Thanksgiving and David gets a call from his agent. If he can't get the book done by January, they are pulling his advance. He starts to get very focused and he has to stop talking to Elias so much. Ellie feels a bit abandoned, but she reads both of David's previously published books. Ellie gets a call from the director of the film, the independent film that she was writing a score for. And he says the project is on hold, so they can't pay her. She stands up for herself and says, I did the work you asked me to. You need to pay me something. He eventually says he'll pay her a little bit, even though it's less than they had planned on. She calls David to share her triumph of standing up for herself. And he says he's proud of her. Um, something that she says hits David and he says he has to go and he starts restructuring the third book and he starts ignoring her again. Uh, Ellie tries texting David, but he's so busy uh, writing that he doesn't even look at his phone. Eventually he does call to apologize for treating her so poorly. So he sees that he's do what he's doing is, is wrong, but he can't quite correct it because he just has to get this book done. We get a montage of David writing and we see Ellie composing a song. She sends it to David. It's a song about herself and David loves the song and he shares it to his Twitter followers and tags her in the tweet. His deadline near, David turns on his computer, but he gets the blue screen of death. Benji uh, brings him a device to help recover data from his hard drive, and he wants to talk to David about something personal, but David tells Benji it has to wait uh, until he can see what he gets back from his manuscript. He manages to get 105 pages back, which means weeks of work has been lost irretrievably. David calls his agent. She cannot give him an extension. Rather than writing, David becomes obsessed with getting his house perfectly clean and in perfect order. Ellie's phone is getting lots of notices from Twitter. She goes through to figure out why, and she finds David's original tweet that had her tagged in it. She calls David, and she's angry, and asks why she, why he shared her song. She says random people are criticizing her singing, and when he tells her that she has to ignore those negative comments, she tells him that he is ignoring her right now by not listening to what she is telling him. David sits down and deletes everything in his manuscript. He starts writing again, and he, he types, her name was Olivia, and she lived across the street. Ellie goes to the online meeting and opens up a little bit about how hurt she is she then starts writing some new music she sends a song to someone who had reached out to her asking if, if they could use her music in a fan animation based on one of david's first books uh, and that video gets hundreds of thousands of views david finishes his new book and gets it to his agent uh, david sends ellie an apology email with the manuscript for the third book attached david's groceries are delivered by his old original delivery guy benji is gone he quit to go start a food truck David calls Benji and they talk like old friends. David tells Benji about his third book and we find out the plot is that John is a lone survivor who has been living alone, hiding from the kaiju, uh, but he uses a radio to try and reach out to other survivors. He contacts one and they bond over the radio before they discover that she lives in the apartment building across the street from him, but they're both too scared to go outside where the kaiju are. In the end, they do go outside and as they hold hands for the first time, a kaiju appears on the street. The end. After talking with Benji, David makes a choice. Ellie finishes reading the book and she makes a choice. They each go to their front door and they step out and they see the other one across the street. They step off their stoops, they walk across their yards, and they meet in the middle of the street where they say hi in person for the first time. The camera pans back to reveal that they live on solitary drive. The end. Uh, it's kind of crazy to hear, uh, 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 you know, months and months and months of work just summed up like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this is probably the first time you've heard your work summarized, you know, th this work summarized by someone else, right? Yeah, yeah, very first time, uh, for sure. It's, uh, it, it is a little unreal, definitely. Um, I was wondering, so you've made it clear this was in no way inspired by current social distancing and solitude that a lot of people are experiencing. So what inspired 
the creation of this story in the first place? Well, uh, when I was writing it, I was in grad school, and uh, this was actually my thesis screenplay uh, in grad school, or at least a version of it uh, of it was. Um, and uh, uh, so, the thing that really inspired it for me was um, the fact that for since like from 2011 until 2018, uh, I was in a long distance relationship uh, with uh, my my now the girlfriend that I now live with, uh, Bethany, and uh, we were in a long distance relationship that entire time. And I was frustrated with the way that long distance relationships were treated in uh, most fiction. Uh, most of the time it was treated as like, oh, uh, you know, one of you need to pull the trigger and just end this. Right. And it's and it was never there was never a situation where they couldn't, you know, it was always a, the, the long distance relationship. Oh, bad idea. You know, I can't can't imagine how many thing, movies and shows that I've seen where somebody says they're in a, a long distance relationship and all their friends like roll their eyes or don't take it seriously or are like, oh, it's just a phase. They'll get over it. They'll be tired of not being around this person and then, then they'll get over it and they'll or they'll one of them will meet someone closer to them and then you know, they'll break up with them and whatever, and it'll be, it'll be over. And it was just everything, everything I ever saw was, uh, uh, treating long distance relationships as if it was a thing to get over. And, uh, and then that would be, that would be that either, either stop it or get over it. Um, and, uh, I wanted to write something where the scenario required the characters to treat the long distance relationship as normal uh and as just the way it had to be and so um you know that was that was sort of the 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 impetus that was where my emotional core to it came from uh and then the characters themselves um really just comes from nick my writing partner who unfortunately couldn't be here today uh uh he had uh other things that he had scheduled prior to um, Joe reaching out. But, uh, you know, we just sort of kind of wrote David and Ellie as each other. And so in a lot of ways, this is a story about my long distance relationship with my girlfriend, but also it's a story about Nick and I falling in love. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so it's, it's sort of a combination of those two things uh, that, that inspired the film. One thing that I really like about it, um, is that the the choice you made to present this long distance relationship in this way as as something that is um, normal and and uh, that that very much works for these two characters? It highlights the emotional intimacy of a relationship, and I think so many films and TV shows just jump to physical intimacy as the be all and end all of a relationship as a shorthand. Cause mm -hmm. it, cause it's, it can be a faster way to say, Oh, these two characters are together uh, to just jump to them making out, you know, or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. And this forces the development of an emotional core between these two. Yeah. That was something that was really important to me too. And I, and I think that when, when um, the idea struck me, I knew that the ending of it needed to be them standing in the street and touching for the first time. And if I, I knew that if we could make it that work, if we could make that moment of just them touching feel like the, 
like this big, you know, explosion emotional moment. Um, it, the way that you get in all of those rom coms where people, you know, are running, racing to the airport and and they they're kissing in the rain and it's like this big emotional climax. If we could make that work and it's just them touching, then uh, we did our job. And I'm 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 pretty proud of of how it turned out, and I I think it I think it worked. Yeah, touching hands yeah. in the middle of the street is like such a journey for these two that it feels uh, like a rewarding completion to to the arc that they've been on. That they walked across their yards. It's like oh oh, and like you said, it, it's in some ways it, you can see the parallels to like you know uh, Will Smith and Hitch like running through traffic, you know, or any you know any any rom com that has the big chase finale moment, you know. And this is just them stepping across the lawns. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and, and yet it can still provide some of that uh, emotional payoff for for the well viewer, ideally, but in this case, you know, the reader. Um, in some ways, it reminded me of some comments I've heard about Aaron Sorkin's West Wing, where there's so little romance in that show. And it's always, you know, so much is driven by the emotional core of these characters, but also like the, the goals that they're trying to accomplish that when you do have a romance where it's even like two characters hugging, it's like, whoa, it's getting hot and steamy in here because, <laughs> they, you know, they, they're, they, they, these two characters hugged. Um, and and like as an audience, you've just been waiting for so long for, you know, Josh and Donna to acknowledge what their feelings are and, and to like move at all towards each other uh, that when it when it happens at all in any in any small way, it feels um, like, like um, it's such a huge step. And in this case, you know, you spent the entire film uh, seeing these two or, or reading about these two in their own worlds that to see them cross the thresholds into each other's world in any small way um, is is very satisfying. Yeah. And I really wanted it to be about a relationship where, you know, I, I think all good romantic relationships and really all good relationships in general, um, you know, they they tend to uh, make each person involved in the relationship hopefully better grow in some way um and and grow and change and and you know the the goal here was not to uh weigh it too heavily heavily in either ellie or david's favor i really wanted to show that um they helped each other in ways that they were probably not expecting which is the other reason why it was very important for me that they meet in the middle and I did that. Lit- we did that literally with the meeting in the middle of the street. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, good, good meeting that we pulled from that, that final shot that you described. And also the, the way you wrote, like the camera pulls back and you, you find out that they're, they're living on solitary drive, which is like just short of doing the like name drop, uh, you know, the, the movie title in the, in the script, like you don't go that far, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but but you you get us right up to the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moment. I in in the the script also, um, uh, you know, it, I always pictured the movie to reveal the title of the film twice, so that at the beginning it's revealed after David fails to walk outside, and you you know you, know, you realize that um, he's a shut in, and uh, he just like kind of bails and goes back to his room, and then you get the title, the other side of solitary, and you're like, oh, okay, so he's solitary right now, but the movie's gonna end with him on the other side of that and then at the end of the movie uh when you reveal that they're actually living on solitary drive and the title is the other side of solitary you get the double meaning yeah um one thing that i did also appreciate is that we see two characters who on the one hand they're very similar in 
the result that we see in their life where they're completely isolated. Their only contact is through the person who delivers their, their groceries. Um, and, and that's it. Other than that, they're, they're almost completely cut off from the world, but what seems to have driven them there is very different. So uh, like the, the way they're living their lives, you can say, okay, well they're, they're two peas in a pod, right? They're very similar, but the, the way we see them actually living in that solitude, um, you know, David is all about, uh, control, like complete and utter control and, and anything outside of his house could be chaotic, it feels like. So that's why he he's unwilling uh, to exit because he, he, he's not in control of anything that's outside of his space. Um, and, and then we have Ellie, who is uh, just delightfully random and sporadic and unkempt uh, in all the descriptions of, of her house. Um, and it's uh, a different fear, right? Uh, it's not about control. It's a fear of, of the outside is... Um, is what's keeping her hurt. And that allows, like you said, them both to have some obstacles that they can help each other overcome. Uh, but it's, it's not like the, a one-to-one correlation as to what has to happen uh, for each of them or, or what is keeping them in their, in their places uh, throughout the movie. Right. Yeah. David is uh, very much, you know, suffering from uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and needs things to be, organized he needs to feel like he's in control and he can control the things in his house uh but as soon as he walks outside there's so many variables that could ruin that control because he doesn't he doesn't have control of the over the rest of the world so anything could happen and that freaks him out uh and i i you know in my my thought process behind this is that it just sort of became comfortable for him to stay inside. He always had this issue, but it didn't start really, uh, you know, becoming a problem until he was trying to write this third book. And then upon starting to write this third book, he stopped going outside more and more and then eventually just learned to exist indoors. Um, and then it just happened. And that was something that I definitely pulled from my own life because there were, there were times when I was in grad school where, you know, I was poor and I couldn't do anything and I would just find myself, uh, you know, in my apartment and then I would leave to go get groceries one day and I would realize, you know, I don't think I've left the house in like six days. Uh, that's pretty weird. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> and so and so I knew what that feeling was of like of just getting to that point and not realizing what you were doing until it had already happened. Um and you know thankfully I didn't I didn't suffer from OCD or or uh the control issues that David does and so you know I I left my house fine. Um but but I could have I could see a world in which if that was what you were comfortable with, uh, looking for other avenues um, to get what you need so that you didn't ever have to leave. And then Ellie, um, Ellie's whole thing is uh, social anxiety. And um, she is afraid of, of being outside, but she's afraid of being outside because that's where the people are. Um, you know, she feels uh, uh, very much the opposite of uh, Ariel and, and her I Want song. Um, she feels uh, very, very differently about that. I want to be inside uh, where nobody is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um and so uh you know she, her social anxiety um is really coming from and th- this is something that 
the script, um, I, th- I think, kind of hints at. We didn't really want to go uh, too far into it, but it, it involves the death of her father um, and uh, the, the social anxiety that she feels uh, comes from that event and has sort of evolved out of that event. Um, and now she is, you know, living in this house by herself and is just trying to scrape by. She's like, uh, you know, you're kind of, um, uh, uh, I don't want to say typical millennial, but it's like, like many millennials, you know, she is sort of working job to job and uh, is definitely in the gig economy and is just trying to find that next paycheck while also being terrified of talking to anyone or leaving her house, which is uh, very difficult to do. But she some, some, somehow managed to find a chaotic way of, of getting by uh, with the help of her mother. I think you did hit a good balance of implying that there is a route to her anxiety without um, having to reveal it all. So like her, her situation felt motivated. I, you know, as I've read it once and I, my guess was it was something to do with her father and I assumed the death of her father. Uh, and I was going to ask you to, to verify that and you, you have now. Uh, so I think there's enough <laughs> there that you, you take that away um, and you're not left wondering uh, like, is there any reason she is the way there, the way that she is? But you, I, I, you don't like feel like you need to know everything to understand who she is. At the same time, like, there's there's enough to know that it, this is a motivated anxiety. Good, good. That's definitely what we were going for. Um, and <laughs> I have to say, one of the most real parts to me uh, of the script was when this independent film director reaches out to her and says, hey, everything's on hold. We're not paying you. Uh, I, and when she <laughs> says, wait a second, and he goes, I thought you were doing this out of love. Like, y- y- you like what we do as filmmakers. So you you just want to be a part of that. And and we're all on board with that. So so sorry, <laughs> we're not going to pay you. And uh, it, it, I think that is something that so many creative or people who try to work in creative fields have been on the receiving end of that conversation of, sorry, you're not getting paid for the work that you have now done. Already. Yeah. I, I wrote a, uh, a comic book series, not, not an issue, but a mini series, an entire mini series of a comic book. And uh, the company that I wrote it for uh, decided that they were not going to publish it um, uh, because they couldn't afford to. And uh, the deal that we had worked out was that I was writing it on spec and then I would get a portion of the uh, the the money that we would make on the publishing side of things. Um, and uh, because they didn't publish it, they didn't pay me anything. And so I worked on this uh, this comic book series for about a year. Um, and I received nothing for it. Um, nothing for my time, nothing for anything. The artist who worked on it got a page rate, but I got nothing. Uh, and, uh, I remembered that. And so <laughs> the, I definitely felt for Ellie in that moment. Yes. There, there, there was, uh, a rawness there, <laughs> I think. Uh, and again, I, I, it's something that is, it's an odd part of, I, I think some people's expectations for creative work versus other kinds of work where it's like, well, you're getting some sort of emotional fulfillment out of this. Isn't that enough <laughs> that you're exactly, you know, that you, 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 you like drawing. So aren't you happy to have drawn, even though you're not getting paid for it, or you like making music. So aren't you happy to have written music? Uh, and, and, you know, I'm glad we can help inspire that. And we're all moving on and, and parting <laughs> at this point. And they, <laughs> they expect there to be like, no, no remuneration for, for, for that sometimes. Um, one thing as I was reading it that, that kind of stood out to me and 
I kind of got hooked on it for a second, but the more I've thought about it, I think it, it works really fine is um, there's a moment in the growing relationship between David and Ellie, where they're going to watch the movie Halloween on Halloween. And uh, when the power goes out, he says, well, why don't we just watch it tomorrow? And she says, no, you have to watch Halloween on Halloween. Uh, and he's like, well, can't we just watch it tomorrow? And she's like, no, that you, you can't, you watch Halloween on Halloween, you watch. And then she like has specific dates where, Things must be watched at that time. And at first I was like, well, that feels a little bit more like David's OCD aspect. But then I've started to say, you know what? I kind of like that she has a little bit of him in, in her. And uh, it doesn't make a, a huge deal uh, in calling out like this, this mirroring. And, and he's a little bit of her of like, well, you can just watch a movie whenever you want. Because the movie isn't the thing that he has, you know, entertainment isn't something that he has OCD about. Um, it's it's his space and his, his life and his world around him. Uh, and so like entertainment could actually be, I think a release for him. So whenever he finds that release, I think he's fine with it. Whereas for her, there's these moments of uh, like demarcation and control and, and alignment that need to be maintained throughout the year and watching this movie on this date and this Christmas, you know, uh, special at, at this date is, is part of where she is still finding some meaning within the chaos in which she generally lives. Yeah, it's it's definitely a moment of uh, kind of the point of it is to show the audience that they they do have a little bit of each other uh, in each other and that they the 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 issue is not that, you know, Ellie isn't capable of uh, organization and control and David is incapable of of relaxing on rules and things. It's about them doing those things in the wrong areas or like hyper focusing on them in the wrong areas. And so that was definitely meant to be a window of um, hope in a way of like, okay, well, these guys, they, 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 they're capable of stepping away from uh, the, the thing that it seems that they're hyper focused on. Um, But, uh, but they are also very much not self-aware of what, what that, uh, uh, what that seems like. Yes. I, I, I like David says something like, well, like, do you really have to watch that on that date? Like that seems a little excessive. And it's like, really, David, you're calling out someone for upset, uh, uh, you know, excessive <laughs> control um, or, or demanding that. Yeah. Yeah. In a particular the, way. <laughs> yeah. The, I think I, I do. I like the, the sort of delicious character irony of that moment. <laughs> Yeah, and I think also for like the idea of these two characters like having a future, seeing that that glimmer of th- they possess a little bit of what the other one has, uh, you know, it, it, where where the other ones are like broadly this way, uh, and that that one's broadly that way, but there's still a little bit, you know, like the, the yin yang, like the the circle of the other one <laughs> in, inside of inside of each other. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes you feel a little more hopeful long-term because there's a part of you as you're reading this like these people cannot live together <laughs> they can keep a strong emotional relationship across the street, <laughs> right. a strong, across the street from each other and it, i'm glad they're finding a healthy outlet for their emotions because they definitely need that but living in the same physical space might be a bit overwhelming for both of them yeah i definitely have no interest in ever writing a sequel to this because <laughs> yeah. that would be uh, uh it's very easy to get them to meet in in, in between the uh you know in on the street but uh it's another thing to actually um show what their day-to-day uh relationship would be like or uh if they uh moved in together what that would be like i am i am in no way suggesting that these two are going to be together forever uh yeah. but they're together at the end of the movie and that's all that matters yeah and because of that moment there's enough hope 
hope that you can kind of say, oh, you know, there's an implicit happily ever after. Oh, well, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, once you yes. start exploring the details, yeah, it might exactly, be exactly. overwhelming. <laughs> um, in structuring this <laughs> film, I, I was wondering, or if you could talk a little bit about how you decided to cycle, like the ups and downs of, of like they're, they're building together and then you have to have the new obstacles that need to be overcome and how you had to, how, how you chose what those obstacles would be. Cause that's something I was kind of like looking for, for the rhythms. Cause they do fairly quickly after, after meeting fall into a, a pleasant routine that you, uh, on the one hand, like, Oh, this is nice. They, they've, they found a good routine, but you're also like, Oh, there's, there's still a lot of pages left in the screenplay. Where is the obstacle <laughs> that's going to ruin this uh, going to come from? Yeah. So I, I, you know, the thing that, uh, we really wanted to focus on, um, with, with, uh, the, you know, the obstacles, like you, like you were saying is that, um, the, the characters are, you know, like they're obviously, they have a lot, they have things in common, but they're also sort of polar opposites in a lot of ways. And the, uh, the idea was that they feel like they understand each other, but they don't really understand each other's issues, right? They understand that they're both shut-ins and they have that in common, but they're not really focusing on what each other's problems are. And so there's a lot of miscommunication to be had uh, in that. And, uh, you know, there's a scene um, in that scene where the power goes out and they have their sort of like night together. Um, they have this conversation about their brain stuff, as they call it. And they are both sort of speaking at each other and they're not really talking with each other. Like they're not, if you, if you read back on that section, they're, they're, they're both talking about their issues, but neither of them are really commenting on each other's issues. And in a way it almost sounds like they're competing a little bit as if to say like my issues are worse than yours without actually saying that. And, and so I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of miscommunication there because they were opening up to each other, but it's like they, neither of them were really listening. And so when the issue with Ellie song happens and with David hyper-focusing on writing his book happen, uh, you know, Ellie feels abandoned because David doesn't understand that her social anxiety comes from the idea of her feeling abandoned. Um, because he wasn't really listening that night, you know, mm -hmm. not as well as he probably should have been because he was thinking too much about himself. And Ellie doesn't understand that David is so hyper-focused because of his issues, you know? And, and that again happens with the, with the song later. El David doesn't understand why Ellie's so upset. And El but meanwhile, Ellie shared something super personal with him in a way that she doesn't do with anyone because she's so afraid of sharing herself with people. And he just threw it out on the internet because he was like, well, this is what she'd want. It's a great song. And I have all of these followers and they'll love it. Like I loved it and it'll be great. Uh, and isn't really thinking about, he thinks that he's helping uh, and not understanding that what she did was hyper personal. And so, you know, it's those sort of elements butting heads. Um, and that miscommunication, I think, is where a lot of those uh, personal obstacles came between the two of them. Yeah. And in the, in that conversation that you were mentioning, they find some parallel metaphors to talk about the issues that they have. And I think because they found these metaphors that sound similar, uh, to me, at least, it, 
I think they were both assuming I now understand you because I understand myself a bit. Like, I, like I, I know what I'm going through, so therefore I understand what you're going through. And, and like you said, they, they weren't really listening to where right. those differences were. They were like hanging on to the similarities and having someone who they could at least admit these issues that they have. Uh, they could like put verbalize them and put them out there. And then they almost, like you said, they missed the part of like really listening and interacting with what each one is saying, uh, you know, and, and where they could find those differences to really truly understand what the other one's worldview is instead of saying, I think you think a lot like I do. Right. Right. And that, like you said, leads to uh, like David, who's comfortable with putting work out there, um, <laughs> you know, as, as a best-selling author thinking, Oh, this, this song is great. We should need to get out there for an audience. Because I, right, I mean, exactly. I, I mentioned earlier on, like he is a bit self-flagellating about a lot of his writing, but when he knows it's good enough to be seen, he expects creative works to be seen. Like the, like the goal is to get out there and he hears her song and says, Oh, well, this is like what I'm trying to create. Like this is the level of creativity I'm trying to reach right now. And I don't feel like I am. So I'm going to help, help her out by putting hers out there. Right. And he knows that she's struggling with money and thinks that this is going to help. And surprise, surprise, it kind of does, you know? <laughs> I mean, she she feels betrayed by the moment, but he wasn't wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, he is in the wrong for not seeking her yes. permission, but the end result is what he was hoping would happen. It does happen. Uh, but I like that he doesn't, there's never a hint of like, I told you so. It's always like, I, I was wrong. <laughs> I screwed up. I wasn't thinking. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't it wasn't how she wanted that to happen. And I think he understands that, you know, ultimately, the the despite the, uh, uh, you know, what ended up happening, um, he was in the wrong in the moment, like it was the emotionally wrong thing to do, mm -hmm. even if, uh, you know, career wise, it might have been yeah. uh, better for her. And if there was ever like a hint of smug, like I told you so, like you'd immediately turn on David as a character, like you couldn't have that and still hope for them to get together. <laughs> like, that's not the obstacle that needs right, to be the exactly. wedge in their relationship. They're already enough enough issues between the two of them um i want to talk a little bit about yeah Benji, it was really important interesting character oh sorry go ahead uh oh yeah i was just gonna say it was really important go, going off of what you what you had just said i just wanted to say that it was um yeah it was really important to us that uh david and ellie both have character flaws and make huge mistakes in this relationship but the audience needed to uh, empathize and understand with like why they were making those uh, choices and those mistakes and see it from both sides um, in a way that you don't really get with most uh, relationships. You usually only get one side of, you know, any, anything that happens that's, that's wrong. And uh, I wanted to show like that these, the reason that these characters were, this was happening was because of the sort of underlying communication uh, uh, problems. And, uh, we wanted to make sure that these, um, uh, these mistakes were not, uh, causing the end of the movie to not feel earned. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was, uh, starting to say, I, I like the character of Benji because it's, uh, in some ways like the best friend character that you get in a lot of romantic comedies, but Benji has character and an arc it's not just a sounding board for our protagonists uh, to be bouncing off of um and to have benji like literally just disappear uh in the final act was a surprise but it it felt um like like a good choice to 
demonstrate both like the transformation that David in particular has had. Like I, <laughs> I really enjoyed his earlier scene when, when Benji first appears and then he, he's like, well, what happened to Steven? And then he, like, he calls the company and he's like, he got into is it Harvard, right? Harvard full ride. And it's like, what would he turn that yeah, down Harvard, and, yeah. and come back full to be ride, delivery guy? Scholarship to Harvard. <laughs> would, would he turn that down <laughs> and, and come back <laughs> to be my, my grocery delivery guy. Um, so you, you, having having Benji gone does allow us to see like uh, a, a little bit in the transformation of David, but also you get a sense of uh, the relationship that they've developed when they have like a real phone call and talk about Benji's choice and 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 that David's happy that he's moving on to to this restaurant and other stuff. Like he's happy his life has been disrupted, which was not the David we had at the beginning of uh, of the mm-hmm. screenplay. Um, but in right, introducing exactly. Benji. How like like what were your goals for having Benji in in the screenplay besides the um like the bridge character which is, you you need a functionality there of like the he's he's gonna be a bridge across the street initially uh of of getting these two to know the other one even exists on the other side but what what were your hopes for Benji in the screenplay? Well, Benji as a character um is uh very inspired by um. Nick, my co-writer, uh, he was always intended to play the character. And uh, it was the thing that we we talked about a lot with Benji was um, those sort of that rom-com trope of like the best friend character. And we really liked the idea of having the same best friend character for both <laughs> love interest characters um and i and i we we just thought that that was uh really interesting and not something that we had seen before we don't usually see this weird um non-love triangle triangle uh it's like it, it's just a very uh a weird situation that these three characters have found themselves in and uh we also talk about those sort of guardian angel character uh tropes right and you know one character that we thought of a lot was um paul giamatti in uh uh uh, saving mr banks and how that character is just sort of like nice and you just sort of like like him being around but but the problem with him is that he has no character arc he's just there to help the protagonist fulfill her arc and we that that's always bothered us like we we uh as as writers we always like to give characters even if it's a minor arc something to do um you know some sort of of character arc that's why you know uh david's relationship with camilla his agent is is part of that um you know we the he sort of has to apologize for never treating her like a human um and and you know that was sort of important and that's that's a very small arc and it and it is about david as much as it is about camilla but it was important that everybody, every every major character in this had something to do uh, and had a place to end up. And so, you know, we just I, with Benji, we just sort of wanted to, you know, not only ha- play with those romantic comedy tropes, but also have a have a uh, a character with a a full arc that seemed to sort of um, thematically. Uh, 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 you know, relate to the, the two, the other two characters. Uh, can you dig into that a little more? What you said at the very end, like I see his arc, you know, from delivery guy to like choosing to step out and run his own business. So is it, is it that like crossing into a new stage of life? Is that the, the parallel that you're seeing with, uh, with David and Ellie? 
Yeah, yeah, it's that, and it's and it's it, it, yeah, it's definitely that. It's it's the fact that he was sort of uh, trapped in not you know pulling the trigger because the idea of opening a restaurant is uh, you know really overwhelming, terrifying. and <laughs> it would probably for yeah it would be yeah it's terrifying, right? Yeah, so so it's overwhelming, it's terrifying, and so he's not pulling the trigger on it, and it's not until you know David uh, you know inspires him to start a food truck um, and start there before opening a restaurant uh, that it, it sort of inspires him to take those steps. And it's, it is a sort of, um, you know, it's, it's this thematic relationship of someone who's trapped in one uh, way of thinking and then through their relationship with someone else, grows and evolves and takes a step in a new direction. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of what all of this, uh, th this film was about, was about how, you know, other, like the people that you love can, you know, sort of uh, help you evolve and, and, and change your life in positive ways that you might not have expected. Uh, yeah, I like that. And um, Benji, uh, there's something about, the way that he is able to insert himself, like you said, he's the best friend character, but really he's, he becomes like, he's best friend by default. Cause he's the only friend that either of these two people <laughs> managed to have um, the, the only <laughs> right, social contact right. uh, that they can have. Um, and the, I, I, I was thinking about like the way he inserts himself, like it feels so disruptive initially, but then uh, maybe this is like a, another thing that kind of gives a little hope that these two crazy kids could be together at the end is like once the disruption is part of their lives it's like part of the routine like we expect now benji to you know enter the house even though no one ever enters the house <laughs> but but once he's shown oh no i i'm benji i enter the house it's like okay well that's part of my routine now uh that is uh you know part part of uh right. the, the world um that if that was gone my world would feel a little disrupted now by your absence instead of just your presence which is what we have initially and then when he really does, you know, it is also an absence. Right. Yeah. I mean, he needed to uh, cause some chaos in their lives because they were both in a routine. And, you know, without Benji's, you know, influence, without his chaos, uh, I don't think any of the story would have really gotten rolling. And, and it certainly wouldn't have happened in the way because without Benji, they wouldn't have ever even found out that they lived across the street from each other. I'm sure they would have eventually uh, just through like common stories or something or the night that their electricity went out. Um, but it, it was Benji that sort of gets the ball rolling, I think on the story um, and changes things up in a way that causes the events of the, of the story to happen. Well, Scott, I've enjoyed this discussion and seeing some of the process that you were able to reveal, uh, you know, some of the inspirations and, and uh, the, the thought process behind some of the choices that we have in the story. So thank you again for sharing uh, the screenplay. And I, I will include links to that uh, reading of the screenplay listeners uh, in the show notes that you'll so that you'll be able to track it down. Is there anything that you want to, like, give as a final thought about this screenplay that it sounds like you've worked on for years and years uh, and is, is now going to be released to the world uh, in a way, not the way that you'd hope, but still being released to the world now? 
Yeah, I mean, I just I hope that people are uh, willing to check it out. I hope if you've listened this far, uh, maybe you've even already checked it out. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, maybe you had you uh, saw what the what the episode was about, and uh, maybe like click the link before you even listen to this. That would be that would be great. Um, but if not, I hope that you check it out. Uh, it will be with a uh, a full cast um, of of people from all over the world. Uh, our Ellie is for, is living in London right now. Um, you know, Zach is Zach and Nick are both in L.A. Uh, and we have uh, an actress in uh, Austin playing Camilla. Um, and uh, you know, we're just we're really excited about this. Um, there's going to be some. Uh, live performances in this because Ellie is a songwriter and and uh, Naomi, the actress who is playing Ellie, will be uh, uh, performing those songs. We've actually written the songs, um, so uh, all of those songs will actually be performed uh, as they would you have. have in you the have film. the Mothra song. Uh, yes yes the mo- she played the mothra song to me um uh just the other day and uh, it's great and I can't wait for people to hear it. But yeah, she has all of them. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Yeah, like we, I, I mentioned it, you, maybe you forgot because it was a quick line that Ellie writes songs, like theme songs for characters that she loves. And I, that was just such a great little trait uh, for her to have. And in the script, like we get some like uh, dialogue or, or lyrics for some of the songs and others. It just kind of says like, there's a song here. Uh, so yeah, seeing that performance, I think would be great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. There's, it's worthwhile. Even though you now, if you've listened to this episode, you know everything that's going to happen. Uh, you know, you get to experience it as a as a whole performance. We're we're like treating this as like a real like like almost like a play or something. Uh, we're mm-hmm. uh doing a rehearsal um this weekend as of like us recording this this weekend, and then uh for the for the next uh for the live show, the live uh, reading the, the following weekend. Um, so, you know, we're, we're treating this as like a real thing. We're trying to really like put on a show for everyone. So um, hopefully it, uh, it turned out great. You all will know better than I do right now. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it all uh, worked as, out. <laughs> as a creator, what are your feelings? Like as you're going to see this, you know, th- this thing that you've worked on for so long, get, a full performance uh you know happening what like what what are you feeling right now um i'm excited i'm nervous and i am relieved uh because this has been such a part of my life for so long at this point that i am i'm glad to kind of put it behind me so that we can work on the next thing because uh, we have Nick and I have so many ideas for other screenplays that we want to write. Um, and this has been sort of hanging over our head because we loved it and we wanted to get it right. And we wanted to um, try to get it made. And we were so hyper focused on that, that we haven't really been writing much of anything else uh, as a result. And so I'm looking forward to the next thing uh, as a result of of this being sort of behind us. Well, uh, at the time of this recording, I want to say good luck with the performance. At the time it's released to our listeners, I want to say congratulations on a great performance that has now happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I will also say good luck on, on your next projects. I, I look forward to seeing what you're able to create. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. 
All right, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by uh, by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jdorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist. Now, Scott, you've been... Um, uh, promoting the the live read of the script, but is there anything else you'd like to promote right now before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, check out uh, my my other uh, creative endeavors. Um, you know, I I have all the podcasts where I talk about other people's creative endeavors. But uh, if you want to talk about uh, or you want to listen to me talk about original stuff, uh, check out Theme Park This, which is a dueling genre show in which myself and my co-hosts Kyle and Brian uh, take a a topic, a a, uh, a a theme of of some sort, um, usually an IP, not always an IP. And we attempt to turn that thing into a theme park that includes a uh, an overall theme, a uh, restaurant, an attraction of some sort, and an e-ticket ride, which is sort of like a big, uh, a big theme park ride. And uh, we sort of walk through what that would, what our theme park would look like. Um, it's a lot of fun, and uh, we've done we've done uh, a lot of different ones. We've done The Simpsons. Uh, we've done we've we're doing an episode on Bioshock, which will be out by the time this comes out. Uh, and so we're really going all over the map with the types of things that we're talking about. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. So check that out. And if you like. Uh, the other side of solitary, then you should check out Geek by Night, the original uh, audio series that uh, I I created and uh, co-show run with uh, with uh, Nick, my co-writer, and uh, it's it's a series about a group of friends who work at a comic book store and get superpowers and what that means in uh, in uh, uh, today's terms. It's a movie. It's a show about geek culture it's a show about doing the right thing it's a show about friends and family and uh everything in between and we are very proud of it and it is coming to an end this year uh but we've been re-releasing all of the episodes uh in in you know sort of uh uh getting ready for the series finale with new sort of interview content with a a host that is uh uh, doing these sort of like interview episodes between each episode's release. So um, I don't know. Check that out. It's uh, it's coming out in like more bite-sized episodes. Uh, the, the episodes used to be like 45 minutes to an hour long, and I've, I've cut them up to be a little more bite-sized episodes. And so um, check that out as it's uh, being re-released and um, we'll be, we'll be uh, heading toward the final season and the series finale uh, later this year. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. And thank you listeners for downloading this episode. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Makes it, it makes him kind of like, like two notches cooler than I had originally pictured him. <laughs> well, yeah, you you could definitely. <laughs> <laughs>